Hi, I'm Paul Ford, and you're listening to Track Changes, the podcast of Postlight, a digital product studio in New York City at 101 Fifth Avenue. We build apps for your phone, we build web apps, and we build big web platforms, and we design them and make them look beautiful. So if you need that sort of thing, you know how to get in touch. And if you don't know how to get in touch, just send an email to hello at postlight.com. I'm joined, and I'm very glad to say that I am joined, by my co-founder, Rich Ziotti. Hi, Paul. Rich, have you ever thought a lot about productivity? How many to-do list managers I have, have you used? I have churned through every single to-do list app there is. And when the phone came out, like the iPhone comes out, and then people start making them for the iPhone, and I, and I, I churn through those as well. It's a big deal. I used to do a lot of it, but I settled on one that's really, really nerdy, just big text files, and I've probably stuck with it about five or six years. What is it called? It's called Org Mode. It runs inside of the Emacs text editor. It's yeah. not. It's only for really that's like nerdy people. That's like you know you're at the party and people are like, what are you listening to these days? And you go out of your way to drop the name of a band that no one's going to know. Yeah, like I'm only in acid yeah. jazz, yeah, like that kind of Org thing. Mode is Org my mode. thing. I could talk about org mode a lot, but I would lose every listener we have. So let's move on. Let's use uh, our time wisely, Paul. Exactly. That's the theme of this show. We talked to a man named Alan Burdick, who has been an editor and writer for many, many years and has written a very interesting book about time, about our perception of time. And it turns out that he's obsessed with productivity solutions. So let's get into this. Let's talk about how to be more productive. We have a very broad topic today. Um, the guest is not broad. He's pretty well put together. Yeah, he seems to have it together. But uh, we're, we're lucky to have Alan Burdick, who has written a book called... Go ahead, Rich. Tell me what it's called. It's called Why Time Flies, a Mostly Scientific Investigation. Uh, I Al- got to ask Alan about the word... Mostly. I've well, been staring at the word mostly. Let's say hi to Alan first. Let's Alan, say hi, hi. Alan. Hi. Hi, gentlemen. Welcome. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you for coming in. Thank you. You know, usually we prepare. We have like bullets and bullets of notes and things we want to take. But this, you just decided to cover 60,000 square miles with this title. That was like, yeah, we don't have to be ready. For, we, this will take care of itself is my thinking. I bought the book. I've read much of the book. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. But Talk. on Kindle. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You got to buy books. If anyone is listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I could pirate a book, that's, the, that's just evil at this point. You have to buy people's books. So go to Amazon right now and buy this book before the show is over. Dramatic pause. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I just want to help. No, um, I, yeah. I okay. So the subject here is time, which, and really it feels like the, the subject is the the difference between how we perceive and experience time and what time actually is. Yeah, I mean, I should probably clarify that, that this has nothing to do with space-time. Right. So there's, like, no physics in this book. I made a conscious choice up front. No physics. It's a key selling point. Yeah. This yeah. is all about the perception of time and biology of, to a certain degree. So this show seems to be dragging. Why is that? <laughs> Because you keep looking at the clock. I have to ask this question before we get into the meat of it. Yeah, um, yeah. So walk me into the moment where you said... Oh, this is a great idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Yeah. I'm going to write this book. Ten years ago. Ten years ago. Yeah. Okay. The build-up. That should make every author feel better. <laughs> right? 
Uh, well, two things were going on. I had just finished my previous book, which was about ecology and evolution, and and it got me thinking about these giant time scales, right? You right. know, tens of thousands, millions of years uh-huh. that are really hard to wrap your brain around because we inhabit, you know, 80 or 90 of them. It's just like this tiny window. And I so I got interested, number one, in, in that dissonance, you know, that this window that we live in is, is such a tiny fraction of the possible window of time that one could look at. And then it got me thinking about what is time in me. I, I had studied history of science in, in college long ago, and so I, I spent a fair amount of time thinking about Einstein and, and all that stuff that I couldn't possibly explain to you now because uh, that was a long time ago. But it never felt like that had a whole lot to do with like the time in me and you know and that feeling of time slowing down or time speeding up and i just began to wonder what you know what is this stuff also i had a really bad relationship to time i was always late and i had this crazy idea that i would write a book about time yeah yeah relationship with time yeah with time no i think he meant relationship as in like with someone well with anybody really and I, i was late for any appointment to anybody Oh, okay. So it is the relationship with time. Yeah. Which was affecting your relationships with people. Yeah. Yeah. My, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, I, I think nearly dumped me at some point because I was so perpetually late to everything. It is pretty tough. I'm, I, yeah, that can, that can. Interesting. Cause, yeah. I've learned to get much better at that. So instead of going and looking up like an airport book, how to get there on time. Yeah. How to stop <laughs> or like buying a, yeah. buying a Franklin yeah. planner. Yeah. yeah. Now this is the most writerly thing I've ever heard. Right. Right? Like, yeah. God, I am having a lot of trouble. <laughs> you know, I got there at seven twenty-five. I should have been there at seven fifteen. Right. It I must should, be the nature of time. I should, I should write a book about this. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that was exactly, I was, I was going to kind of tackle this in the most rational way possible. I would write a book about time and sort of explain what it was. But at the same time, I would talk to all kinds of like time coaches and productivity people who would help me write the book on time. So it would be a book about time written on time. I swear to God, any successful writing career <laughs> is structured procrastination. Yeah, yeah. The reason w- I'm late on my book about the web is that I wrote a web content management system to help me write the book. I remember this. Yeah, you do. From a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, I tried it out. It I'm didn't s- work. No, I'm still buried in the middle of all of that. <laughs> it, it's terrible. It's terrible. Okay, so you have a brain that's like, I need to solve this problem by going as meta as possible. Exactly. Okay. So I'm going to go way down the productivity rabbit hole. I'm okay. going to spend like months down there. Trying to, uh, you know, find the perfect tools to organize my time with. And I'm going to really get nothing done while I do that. But You're I'm going to come so home every organized. day and say, oh, yeah, honey, I did a ton of work today. I really was working. I was researching all about how to organize my time. So walk us through some of the some of the things you dabbled with. Because, look, we're in we're a technology shop. And if you go out into the into the office and you ask people, how do you organize your to-do list? You'll never leave. You'll be here for the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah. So what did you try? Well, oh, my God. Uh, I tried. Do you remember, do you remember Slife? No. It was, Slife was this thing. I'm sure it exists in some other form now. Spell this? S-L-I-F-E. I don't and know it was it was, a, it was a browser thing that would basically track every single thing that you did 
on the brow. I mean, of course, they all do that anyway. But this right. made it all transparent so that you could go back and, you know, count up how many hours of the day you actually spent on Netflix or how many minutes you spent doing Google searches about productivity apps. Okay, so this was a journey of self-discovery. Th- this was like meta-meta. What did Slife tell you? I, that, that I should stop uh, <laughs> using Slife. And not just, <laughs> not just Slife, because it, it really did become... Well, for one thing, I, I love productivity apps. I mean, I can't, I can't use less than three to-do apps at once because mm-hmm. why settle for one? And they're always coming out with new shiny it's things. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I did realize at some point, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, once upon a time, I, I love playing The Sims. Sure. And then you realize that you are like The Sim there. Like, you, you are a person with these, like, need bars, and they go up and down, and you f- start to feel like, you are basically basically playing the game of yourself. Sure, it's it's like a cognitive version of Tetris where you dream the falling blocks. Except yeah. you've become the sim. You're like, yeah. oh, I need more of these points to and, be happy. And it's yes, just exactly. a, just close enough to life so that it feels. I, I have need bars. Mm-hmm. What are your need bars? I mean, we all have need bars, right? There's affection. There's basic needs. There's Twitter satisfaction there's i'd put twitter in there too (laughs) (laughs) so you're a sim yeah so i'm so i'm a sim and i'm realizing that i am playing sims and it's just i feel like i feel like so inside the bubble that i realize at some point i've got to stop this and the same the same thing kind of happened with productivity that at a certain point i felt like i had learned enough to be able to stop going down the rabbit hole and actually sit down and do some actual work plus it's it was just so hard i mean it's hard enough writing about time Mm -hmm. to then on top of that layer this this narrative where i'm writing a book about writing about time it just hurt my head too much is there do you did you feel a link between productivity and happiness like that's sort of like if i just color code these folders i'm gonna be where i need to be as a person yeah yeah there, there i felt like i i would get like a little dopamine hit Right. If I if I got the colors right and I checked the boxes off. I feel that's how like the the systems are structured that way, but then for a certain kind of personality, you just start to create new ways to get a dopamine hit. Yeah. 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 Well here here this is the app that I need somebody to invent for me. Okay, great. You're in a product development studio. Yeah, okay. okay. Take this, this is on. it. This is it. This is the big money maker. Go. Every time I write a sentence and I get to the end of the sentence. There is a little sound, like a jingle, like a money jingle sound. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it just goes, and it, like you, it's like you're making money when you write a sentence. And the more sentences you write, the jingly sound gets louder. It's, it's the same thing. You feel like you're amassing cash. But I just, I need that, like, it's a game. Sonic. You're winning. It, totally, yeah. And I need that sonic feedback every right. 10 seconds. You know, this is, this is something that, that we do sales we chase prospects to close business and it's not very satisfying because we could have 20 leads going simultaneously. And unlike laying bricks where you can at the end of the day, look up and see how many bricks you laid, we see nothing for long periods of time. And it's a very empty feeling for Paul and I, who are both people who like to build stuff and we've built nothing. Well, we've built stuff. You could oh, say we, we, we built, built a, a business. Company. We built a meta thing that that does make products, but we no longer make the yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. You're asking yeah. for that feedback, which I would love to see that. Like, Rich, you didn't close anything today, but you made excellent progress today. Here are some 
stars or some something that signals out that kind of progress. You know, I'll tell you the thing that I've noticed now that I'm essentially in management is that there is no success in management like there used to be in other work that I used to do. Like yeah, well, I, who's the person who comes around and says, Paul, you're doing a great job. Literally you, nobody. Yeah. Nobody, right? And it's like, and that's fine. And But it's also just that even internally, I don't know if the decisions we're making will have a good impact. Almost definitely, some of them will fail and we'll just continually move things back and forth, hoping that progress happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I do what I really miss. What, I think that's why I loved publishing on the web early days is that as opposed to sending stuff to somebody waiting for a while, it gets rejected or maybe it gets in. You could just get that feedback. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's good for writers. I think I think at a certain point, it's not great to be too beholden to your audience. Yeah. You need some independence. But early days, it's actually okay. Yeah. Like early days, you just need people to be like, that was funny. And then you're like, okay, well, I can be funny. Uh, but then you stare. You stare at the likes. You stare at the retweets. You stare at the, the well, Google that, analytics because that's that smattering of applause that is just enough like that. Wow, well, they've structured the dopamine hits and those are the successes that everybody uses. Yeah. But it used to be just a person and their text editor, right? Like that right. It didn't used to be that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, that was actually one of the challenges of, of working on this book for so many years. I mean, social media grew up in, in the time that I, that a, I, wor- so that ten, I worked on this. Ten years ago. It's a beautiful you, irony that your, product, your productivity-focused <laughs> time philosophy book took 10 years to write. That's just so great. It's very comforting. Did you start writing it 10 years ago? Or did you decide, I'm going to do this someday and then three years later you no 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 it. i i um i just had this insight that this was like a brilliant idea that this is me saying this with irony um you know this is going to be a, a great idea and it was going to be done really quickly it was going to be a short book open the it was folder gonna, it was going to be kind of, it totally and i i like whipped out a proposal i got signed up right away this is weeks before my my twin boys were Oh, and you I, and, were I, and I had I had no idea what was coming down the pike, and this yeah this was gonna be my this gonna be my highly uh, lucrative uh, next move my big career move. So as a non-writer in the room, what was your commitment to deliver the book at the time they signed you up? Just this is like this uh, is this is this is traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> like when were they expecting final draft? I, I think three years was my uh, wow. was my timeline. And that was pretty generous. Yeah, yeah. They were you were going to take some real time and get this done. Yeah, and yeah. And well, so put- so well, of course, so I had to spend a lot of time researching productivity so that I could. Do so it on you time. delivered it. Uh, how yeah. many years after? Uh, they six you and a half, seven. Okay. Yeah. Which is. I guess not. I'm learning it's not, not that insane. Un- All you need to have happen is for your editor not to get fired. Yeah, and I have to say my editor, bless her heart, she has she stayed there. She championed this uh, for years despite all the many times that I avoided her phone calls. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is very real. As long as she's there. Right. Fascinating. The, it, it can stretch out. If she leaves, you're in big trouble. Yeah, you're Got in limbo. Then they, then they can do anything. They could ask for the money back. Well, you they are can in do. breach of contract, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Every writer is in breach of contract. I don't know a single writer <laughs> who isn't in breach of contract. <laughs> I think Jim Glick hands his books on. Tom. Yeah, and there's a couple, I'm sure, who do. But in yeah. general, you just exist. <laughs> and you, but you still feel like they could come to the house with jackboots 
and get you. Yeah. Because writers by temperament also are not people who are like comfortable around contracts. No, or <laughs> confrontation. No. Okay, so who should read this book? Well, th- so this is really meant as a general interest book. I mean, I, I sort of ri- wrote it with, you know, with my parents in mind or or your parents. It, it you know, it, it's sort of two things. It's It's a scientific investigation in the sense that I wanted to understand what time is and 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 it turns out that what we perceive as time is actually a whole handful of uh, of of different perceptions that get layered on over the ages i mean as we as we grow up and there's some real kind of biological stuff going on in us but i didn't want i mean time is so abstract and it can it can feel so abstract and so kind of you know non-tactile that I really wanted to write a book that you could kind of feel. I mean, there is this aspect of time, like we live in it. It lives in us every moment. It's like right there. You, you can kind of touch it because it's in everything. And so I wanted the reading experience to be right there in, in front of you. So there, are, you know, there's like me taking part in experiments. It's me talking to people. It's pretty tactile. But And underneath it all is this kind of sub-narrative of... You know, my, my kids are 10 years old now, and I in that time, in that 10 years, I became a parent, and my relationship to, di- to time did change, and I have watched them grow into an understanding of time. And that's, that's sort of the container that holds all of this stuff. It's, it is a very kind of slow-boil story, ultimately. Help me understand something. So you have, you're the perfect person to ask. You have 10-year-old twins. Yeah. I have 5-year-old twins, so yeah. I'm halfway to where you are. And I, every morning, I get my kids to school, and I have to get them to get dressed against the clock. I'm racing the clock. My perception of what it's going to take to get out the door and their perception is so fundamentally different that almost every morning there's yelling and upset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's yeah. happening in their brains? Can they simply not understand that we have to get out the door by 8 a.m.? Yeah, and they, they have no idea what five minutes means. They just don't. They don't. They, you have to, that, that is a, you know, we have timers in our brain that can learn intervals of time, but it does take time to learn them. When do you learn time as a human being? One of the first things I did when I, when I started this is I went out talking to psychologists and neuroscientists and asked them, what is time? And everybody, literally, everybody came back to me and said, well, what do you mean by time? Sure. And what we call time is actually kind of an umbrella term for a lot of different experiences. It's our understanding of past and present and future. And that, you know, one lies in one direction and the other is in another. It's our sense of temporal order, you know, of sequence, before and after and then and then. And there's our sense of duration. Okay, so our monkey brains have this very, uh, have these different perceptions of time, but as adults, we've learned to kind of wrap them all up in one clock on the wall. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as adults, you know, parsing them out seems like uh, these seem like banal distinctions. But to, to kids, they're, they're a real revelation when they occur. So, you know, a, a two-year-old kid can speak perfectly well in the, in the past tense and the present tense, but doesn't really understand the difference between before and after until age three or four. And, and you could say to five-year-old Jimmy, you know, what comes next? Your birthday in July, if it's January when you ask this, what comes next? Your birthday in July or Christmas? And likely as not, he'll say Christmas because that's the nearest thing, even though that isn't 
the next It's thing. in the past, but it's close. It's close. Right. I mean, we struggle a lot at home with issues of weekend, weekday, things like that. Yeah. So really, the human has to sort of take all the different perceptions of time in their head, and they get acculturated into the sort of world of clock time. Exactly. And, and, and there are some cultural differences, too. There was a really interesting study done with, with young kids where they had them basically walk back through the month. So, you know, what comes three months before November? And they would time how long it took American kids to do this. And they would time uh, Chinese kids. And the Chinese kids could actually do it faster because in Mandarin, the months don't have names. The months are numbered. Oh, so they can just count so, so it's just a math problem. Interesting. I have to say, you know, I fight, you know, Paul, I have the same situation. I have a four-year-old and two-year-old, and we got to wrestle with them to get their clothes on, to get out of the house, to get to school. And I can't help but sometimes look at myself and say, you know, they're just living life. Yeah. Like, I have, you know, there's 8.30 and 9 o'clock, and I got to be in by 9.15, but they're just, like, they'll do this. If, walking home from school is e- even more telling. They just want to walk in a relaxed Mediterranean sort of way. They just want to take an hour and take in some sun. And I want to get home. Children do not experience urgency. And do you think we sort of try to recapture that later on in life? There's the, you know, there's the mindfulness movement and all of that. Like, you know, do we lose something? Are we... What happens? Well, I, I certainly feel like we, we feel like we lose something. I, I, I certainly had those experiences, too, where I need to hurry my kid along, and I feel terrible. I feel like I am I'm introducing them to this kind of toxic, you know, uh, uh, temporal structure that's just going to destroy their lives forever. And, you know, could they just remain ignorant and innocent of it? <laughs> right. I mean, but they, they would never get to school. No, that's right. Because they, they would stop and, and look at the rocks on the side of the road. Yeah. They'd smell the roses. Yeah. Literally. And, and, and probably live in your house forever. Yeah. No, you'd never, you'd never <laughs> get them to school. Well, this is the thing, right? You got to, pre- I mean, as I'm listening to you talk, what I'm hearing is there's a, such a strong connection between labor and time. Right. Like we live in this world. Like I come into this office at a certain time every morning and then I at around five or six in, in somewhere in there, it starts to become time to wind up. Yeah. And I'm really well trained on that. And a lot of the training I had as a kid obviously prepared me. Right. Like being on that schedule is important for sort of surviving in this culture and and hopefully thriving. Yeah. But I, I think it's fair to say that it's not just labor. You know, that that sense of time and needing to know that time is really integral to us socializing. I mean, what we do all the time with each other is some version of, you know, asking each other, like, what time is it right now, right? There's a reason why all of our clocks are synchronized, Mm -hmm. because that enables us not just to do work, but to say, hey, you know, let's talk at such and such a time. And to, to do that, we need to agree on a clock that's going to be our baseline and we need to agree when now is so that we can agree that, you know, three hours from now is when you and I are going to all be in the same room together. Right, because right, we came to, there's a consensus that was reached where you were going to come to this office. Right. And that, and we don't, of course, you don't think about that process, but it, it's actually incredibly complex. Yeah. Lots and, of people involved, lots of systems, lots of abstract ideas. Yeah, and you certainly don't think about it, but the cells in your body are doing exactly the same thing. Okay. Every, every cell in your body basically has a 24-hour, slightly more than 24-hour clock in it. And 
in order to function together as a group of cells, they need to synchronize their clocks. And there is in your brain like a master clock that keeps them all synchronized, like a, like the conductor of a symphony. And that's absolutely essential to, you know, good physiology, good metabolism. It's essential to, you know, cells being able to organize their interiors. It's time is, you know, it's not just a thing that's imposed on us. It's a thing that bubbles out of us. So at some, okay, so we're a kind of timekeeping organism in some very... Yeah, each of us is a clock. We're walking around as a clock. What were people like, I mean, how was time perceived before the clock? What were people like during the day? Well, when was that? I mean, uh, I mean, I got to think that even back in cavemen times, you know, you're still organizing yourself around the clock sun of the sun. Com- sun yeah, let's up. not go hunting in the middle of the night. Let's wait till the sun comes up or, you know, let's wait till the end of the day when all the animals are out. And and, and there is some kind of agreement about when we're going to meet with our spears and, and go catch stuff, right? Yeah, there's, that's true. As a, as a herd animal, meaning humans, right? We, we like to be together in groups. Yeah. And you want, you know, you want to plant your crops, you know, not in the middle of winter, but, you know, in the spring. And you, so you've got this other kind of calendar system going, too. And it correlates to what's in our body. Like, at some level, we know sun's up, time to get up. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, let's, as, you, as I think about pre-sundial times and all the way up to today, technology. I feel like technology has done a number on me. When it comes to time, even in the last 15 years. In what way? I feel like the New York Times app is lazy. By the afternoon, it's like, what are they doing at the Times? More. I want more information. Why haven't they updated the damn app? It's true, because around 8 in the morning, you get this blast of news. Yeah. And then you want to go back and you want that blast again. But instead, it's like a recipe. Yeah. I I watched the news last night. And they reported on the Academy Awards flub. Yeah. And that was 20 hours after it happened. And it felt like the oldest news. Like it, it, felt, it felt ancient, even though... Yeah, no, I, I, I hate it when I get on the Times app and it's the same story, but with a new headline. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, it's cheating. Yeah. It's That's the worst. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it's true. You just want, and, and they could give you anything. They could give, like, no news on this. Yeah. And you'd be happy. But when you see that same story again. Yeah. And then there's personal planning and calendars and what they represent. And uh, I just feel like I can't even stretch my arms out anymore in the way the tools, you know, so many tools we use today, whether it be just consumption tools or productivity tools, are around time and around managing your life and navigating through. I feel like I'm na- I have tools to navigate the other tools. Well, yeah. let's let's start. Point. What is your setup? How do you organize yeah. your life? <laughs> um, these days, I mostly organize myself through my calendar. Okay, is um, it Google Calendar? Is it? It's ultim- ultimately it's Google Calendar, but the front end is is fantastical. Okay, uh, which I can you know it's use a cool through my app. phone. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. Mm-hmm. And just easy entry and dumb, you know reminders and all that stuff. I have a friend who tried to introduce me recently to bullet journaling. Do you know about that? No. Tell us about bullet journaling. Is yeah. this a process or is this This, this is This is a process that goes on in a notebook. Okay. Yeah. If you, <laughs> like a paper notebook. I'm so excited. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah you got to go look at the YouTube video. It's all about all about. That's how you learn journaling. about bullet journaling? Yeah. Well, what is bullet journaling in a high level? All right. So, you, you know, you have a journal 
and you uh, first you you know write out all the months of the year and you know on another page you write all your goals and then you turn the page and then you have you know the months a month for each page and you write down all the things you're gonna do in that month and then you turn another page and you write down all you know then you block out a week and all the things you're gonna do in a week and as you turn each page you kind of go back and you flip through the things you wrote down and did or didn't do and you either you know check them off or you write them on a new page to do you know to okay. remind yourself to do you can just do this all day yeah yeah, yeah. and you, there are like little colored stickies and stamps and there there is a whole rabbit hole have you bought the there. stamps yet i have not are bought the stamps uh, i did it for a half a week i did it for about four days and then it's pretty good I, run I just, for any productivity uh, yeah. toolkit <laughs> uh, but i got a nice new book you know notebook yeah. and, uh, and a couple of new pens i have a lot of notebooks with like three pages yeah. used up in them yeah you, oh yeah you buy that new notebook with a lot of hope <laughs> all right so so what is productivity here and can you define productivity in the context of like are you is it about getting control over time is it about what is it that's a good question i think it's about feeling satisfied with the time that you are spending i so mean getting I, control right like getting some like yeah a sense I mean, of a sense of I'm going to put something in and get something back. Yeah, and I'm going to check off a box. Right. And I'm going to be able to say at the end of X period that I did such and such a thing. And, and it's not just this being able to say that you did it, but, you know, the feeling that you did actually do it. And there's there's some crumb trail for your own accomplishments, right? Because it's a virtue, right? Like, right. Well, it's, yeah. You know, it's, there's nobody walking around necessarily patting you on the back saying, you know, Paul, Rich, you guys are doing a great job. You got to write it down, and then you got to check it off. Right? Yeah. It's 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 self it's self feedback. It's yeah. self coaching. So it externalizes that exactly. It's the that satisfaction you get when you look up at that shed you actually built yourself. It's there. You did it. It's a physical object. It's a physical mm-hmm. thing, and this goes back to you know what we struggle with because there's not a lot of tangible to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Nobody's given us stars. Yep. You know, I, I have a to do app that I use. What do you use? I used Todoist, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, which is very good, and it does a lot of nice things. And it's animation for completing the the task is, I feel like I won something. <laughs> it's not even that fancy an animation. It's just I've programmed it into my head to progress yeah. as progress. Yeah. And so it's meaningful. So it's it's that... I don't even think I need to get that much done. I just need to know that somebody kept score and somebody told me the score at the end. Yeah. I think that's important. I mean, you you're, you know, this is a fundamental way that our brains work. We form habits and and you you know, you you do something and your brain gives you a dopamine reward for it. And you know, either the thing you do is a positive thing and and you build a feedback loop like that, or it's like maybe a not so positive thing, like you know playing The Sims. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing wrong with The Sims, unless you're doing it for hours a day. And and but you you know and you, you get have a little young twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing. I miss video games sometimes, and, and that is gaming, right? I mean, gaming. It, it is. Yeah, you're rich gaming your with brain. Feedback, right? Yeah. yeah. If yeah. Half Life Three ever comes out, I'm gonna have to sit down with my children and, and just say, take yeah. a hiatus. Yeah, I'm just guys. Daddy still loves you, <laughs> but something's gonna happen. But the challenge, you know, I think, Rich, as you pointed out, is that one can be deluded into thinking that 
you know, the, the, the finer you chop up your day into these little bits, the more you're going to get done, right? And, and it's almost like you can be infinitely productive by dividing your day up into smaller and smaller bites. But at a certain point, you become so stressed out about all the things that you're trying to jam in there that you aren't actually using those little bites of time terribly productively because you're a little distracted or you're thinking about the next bite or uh, there there is a limit. You know, I had a, I used to have I caught myself in this little fantasy world because I'd read that like the president had uh, a 10 minutes schedule like every ten, every 10 minutes is sort of blocked out and, and spoken for and i'm like oh maybe that's what you need to do like really get to that level of granularity and then i thought about that for a while and i started to think about how i was going to organize my day and i had this huge insight which is i am not the president of the united states yeah and you don't have 16 people writing your schedule for you sure. putting putting new stuff in front of you every 10 minutes but i think there's an element of fantasy there right where you have like i'm going to get into this system because it is a way to feel kind of powerful like it's a way to feel control over time which i just which i right now i feel like i don't have a lot of control over so yeah. i'm gonna block the day yeah and then i'm gonna know what i'm supposed to be doing and then usually within about six hours that entire system is completely useless and you've screwed it up <laughs> entirely right because you waited you went to lunch for an extra half hour or yeah. whatever and then you're a bad person instead of a good person right right I don't know, this might sound like I'm speaking from personal experience. I don't mean it to. It's all very abstract. It has nothing to do with me. Is there, you know, I have family that don't live in cities, and their view of time is really, really different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's less intense. Do you think, whether it be surroundings or density, is a factor in terms of how we think about whether we're racing or not? You know, I'm, I'm Lebanese, and uh, there's a thing they do where they have lunch, and it goes on for three and a half hours. Mm, yeah. And it's one of the reasons the economy is doing so well <laughs> in Lebanon. <laughs> and at first, I would eat too fast. I would, I would just wolf the food down because I got to get back to work in my mind. And they're, they're just lounging. They're just, you know, and nobody's thinking about getting back anywhere. Yeah. And and then the advice you get is you got to relax. Yeah. You got to get out of New York yeah. and relax and learn to enjoy yourself and, re- and just take it in. Yeah. Whatever that is. It is not seen as a virtue here to be able to relax. I mean, I, I did at some point have an insight, which is because I, I for really a long time assiduously avoided any kind of like time management stuff. Mm-hmm. And I realize that ultimately what it does give me if used properly is the space to have that, right? If I mm. just intentionally block out like, okay, this is the three and a half hours of my day in which I am not going to think about my schedule in which I'm not going to, you know, watch the clock. Um, maybe I'm going to go to lunch for those three and a half hours or maybe you know, it's it's those hours in which I'm going to go to my office and turn off everything and actually work mm-hmm. or do something. You know, something something's going to go on in that room in the course of two or three hours, and when I come out, I'll call it work. But this won't be divided. But it will not be divided. Okay. So there's some there's some. It's like built-in relaxation. Right. Does that work? Are you able I, to relax? I, yeah, I actually I actually find that to be relaxing because otherwise, certainly as a journalist, as a writer. You know, you, you feel like you got to be on all the time. And, there, and, of course, there's this myth that you are 
you know, you're going to be struck by, you know, creative lightning at any moment and you got to write at any moment. And, and I actually find that I, I work much better when I just block out a piece of my day mm-hmm. and that's the day in which I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to write. And that's, I mean, that's the, that's the, the span of time in which I'm going to write. And that, that's my, you know, it's going to happen at the same time every day. And, you know, hmm. maybe nothing, maybe nothing will get done in there. Maybe I won't come out with words, but I'm, I'm not going to check the internet. I'm not going to check my email. I'm going to actually focus. read or focus or write or whatever it is I need to do creatively. It's going to happen in that space, in that time. And you're leaving yourself time to sort of figure that out in that block. Right. Okay. You just know you're going to enter the block of time. Yeah. That's all you need to know. That sounds very sane. Did you ever have a meeting invite for yourself that just said, subject, play with kids? (laughs) Or something akin to, I have to spend time with my children. Let's box it out. Well, yeah. I mean, that happens all the time now. You know, it's like soccer game at you know, you three, put that th- in three thirty. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I have, a, I have a, I have a calendar. Those are interesting, just about right? Kids, you know, kids events because there's so many of them. Yeah, and it's, I, I think we don't really realize as parents how stressful that is for kids. You know, I, I don't know about your kids may not be old enough now, but my kids are pretty, pretty scheduled out. Right. You know, at and ten, yeah, they, it starts to get that way. Right? I, I was never that way as a ten year old. But I is never, that they're doing, or is that? parents doing i think it's the culture it's it's parents doing it's culture it's you know it's what their friends are doing and so they want to do stuff with their friends and that happens at certain times it's you know it's not like when i was a kid i would just get on my bike and go over to my friend's house and see if he was home right now you gotta schedule the play date because otherwise you know joey next door might be at his tuba lesson right Right. no there's tremendous coordination between children i think also, you and I might have it a little bit differently because twins are function as a unit. And I'm, I'm up until yours like, do. Well, no, but up until like <laughs> age six or seven, like they played together pretty well. And, yeah. you know, like I can see it. I can see right now my kids are starting to kind of have their own lives. Yeah. Uh, but up until like on the weekend, we don't do a ton of play dates because they're pretty happy with each other. Yeah. Or they'll play in the hall with one of the neighbor kids. Yeah. But, but it's as life gets bigger and broader for them, they get their own identities and they have their own things they want to do. And yeah, that's then you have to move them around in space. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me, actually, there's this sort of relic of, of their early childhood that, that we still live with. And, and maybe you face this decision, too. You know, when you have two kids uh, and they're, they're twins and they're the same age, you need to get them on a feeding schedule and a sleeping schedule, mm-hmm. you know, really early or, or you go insane. I mean, we, you know, the, all the Park Slope logic about and sort of how to let your child tell you things and, and, and sort of attachment parenting oriented stuff. Our pediatrician took us aside and was like, you won't survive no, any of that. No. Don't listen to any of it. Sleep train <laughs> your children. Yep, yep. Use this electrical prod if you need to. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and for, for parents of twins, the, the issue is, are you going to put them on the same sleep schedule and feeding schedule, which means, you know, for the 45 minutes that they're awake or whatever, you're going to try to feed them both. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to sleep at the same time and you're going to rest. Or are you going to have them on, on kind of alternating schedules where you're always working, but each kid gets a little bit more, you know, individual attention. Um, and we went for, for plan A, which yeah, involved sanity for us. And, and it's amazing. My, you know, my kids are still on uh, they are on the same schedule as each other. They go to bed at the same time. They're, they wake up at the same time. 
at least for now. No, I mean, we've got it too. They go, you know, there's too much talking at bedtime. Yeah. But other than that, they, they're out. They just, it's like, it's time. Okay. Good night. Yeah. I want to cover one last phenomena. Yeah. The deadline. Mm. That's enough. That's the answer right there. <laughs> mm. Thanks for coming, Alan. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm been in product management leading teams for many years. I do it less now because I'm more running the business, but I've always found that injecting that goal line in to the swirl of activity is necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's not really tied to anything, it's artificial sometimes, yeah. but it's meaningful, especially in in our world where we're really not asking people to just screw in parts and bang out a handful of, you know, widgets. There's a lot of art to it as well. And yeah. you could spin for hours on something or you could get the thing done as best you can because you know you need to get it done. And yeah. there's a reality too that a, a task that seems straightforward truly can extend five or ten times as long as you Easily. might expect. Especially in our industry. For yeah. le- completely legitimate reasons. Absolutely. Like it's not spinning. It, it's, it just turned out to be much harder than anyone expected. Yeah. I, I will tell you that I spent probably two or three months early on experimenting with Gantt charts. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and, and trying to break my book down into, into like distinct steps and, and deliverables. Uh, which for yourself for myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's a good time man yeah it was a total total disaster from book <laughs> writing point of view but i learned a lot about gantt charts are there diagrams in the book uh of any of these gantt no charts? i should have put those in i'll put those on my website you know what's interesting is just like there's this continual conflict between like there's a biological sense that you've talked about and then there's this desire to kind of externalize the the clock and, and have something so that you can see and perceive time because you just know that you'll drift. Yeah. Like you, and I have the same struggle and I know Rich does too. Like uh, you just, you know that left to your own devices, six oh, yeah. to eight hours will disappear from your day as you go down specific rabbit holes. Yeah. And so the clock that you're building, which is colored blocks of time in the calendar and Gantt charts and, and bullet journals is... Just some ways so that you can perceive this dimension. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do you have a good sense of why we have so much trouble perceiving time? Like why we go off the clock so easily? Why do I need that mechanism? Well, oh, geez. I mean, I mean, it, it's funny. You, you, we externalize it and then we kind of hate it. It's like you need something to rub up against. Mm-hmm. You need, um, yeah, you need something to blame. Yeah. It becomes the dad, right? Like the, totally, the totally. relationship we're talking about with our kids, like trying to get them out the door. That's what I'm doing to myself when I put blocks in on the calendar. Yeah. I, there's, there's actually a moment in my book in, that I describe when one of my kids was maybe two years old or three years old. And he was just kind of coming out of the um, nap in the afternoon phase, which up until then was the time when I would write. Sure. And so now I'm putting him down. He's not going to sleep. And it's just infuriating. Right, it's like you go to sleep. Oh, you take it right. so personally. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, for him, it's totally fun because he's like sticking it to the man. Right. And um, but what he wanted to do, he was number one, he was being kept awake by the clock on the wall. So just the yeah, just that, and he's totally fascinated by. It. He wants me to get the clock down from the wall and and look at it with him, so he can figure out what's going on. And that that really was a point at which I was like. Oh, okay. the The point here is not for me 
to like get stuff done in this time. The point of this time is for me to hang out with my kid. Sure. Yeah. It's a struggle though. We've talked about it uh, before. I think even on the podcast we, that I take them to the park and they're having a good time and I am uh, sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I could kick a ball or I could check my phone. Yeah. Right. And then I enter that world again where I'm in the zone of pure distraction. Mm-hmm. And the kids are self sustaining. And I think it's probably a compromise. Like sometimes let them play and I can just play with my phone. But other times I should just be kicking the ball. Yeah. All right. So who should buy this book? Everybody. Everybody in the whole world. Yeah. Because this is something that we're all thinking about. Even if we don't know that we're thinking about it, this is something that we all deal with in terms of. You know, how do I, I I don't really talk about how to manage your calendar, but, um, you know, we're thinking about how to divide up our days. We're thinking about, you know, waking up in the middle of night and and there's this, these moments that kind of burst out at you one after the other. And you're just kind of wondering like, where is it going and what is this stuff? And why am I here? At, At the bottom of it, you can't really talk about time or talk about what now is or the present is without talking about consciousness i totally i tried to avoid it because it's such a goopy subject Mm -hmm. because time time's not goopy yeah yeah but (laughs) consciousness um but but ultimately you know that that is what we're dealing with and we're, we're dealing with you know who am i passing through this sea of time who am i with this sea of time passing through me and so much of being a conscious self is understanding that you are a self through time, you know, that your memories are yours. You had them yesterday. You'll have them a month from now, that, that your self remains constant. And, and, and again, you know, that's not something that, that kids come into this world having. It's not really till like age four or so that they understand that your memories of, of going to the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty, if you tell them a story about that, they don't necessarily understand that that didn't happen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at an early age, everything a kid hears about or knows, it's as if they did it. And only once, once they parse out their own memories from yours do they start to claim a sense of self, right? Their, their memories belong to them. And at that point, you know, the, the lights start to go on. It's like, oh, yeah, I was me yesterday. I'm going to be me, you know, 10 or 20 years from now. That's that, you know, developmental psychologists talk about the self as being a self through time because that's, uh, that is the, ult- the, the main insight is that you persist. You persist across time. And so we're kind of full of clocks as human beings. We have all sorts of little timekeeping things that happen inside of us. Inside of us and as a group, these clocks add up to a bigger clock, which are, you know, each of us and each of us sitting here together kind of form a clock because we're having a conversation about, you know, when is our conversation going to start and what time is it going to end and what are we going to do next? And, and it's a collective And this a collective is a formal process. system, but sometimes, like, it's not formal. Sometimes you're, like, talking to somebody at the supermarket. Yeah. And there's a mutual understanding that this is going to wind down in about a minute and a half because a kid's going to yell or I need to go get the cereal. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Now, if I went over to your house and after a minute and a half and I was like, going to go. Yeah. Be incredibly rude. Yeah. Okay. So, if you know, if these are things that you think about, then this is totally the book for you. Interesting. All right. So, it is, as we're recording, 1.42 p.m. <laughs> the book is Why Time Flies. It's available everywhere the books are sold. And you should buy a copy. 
You shouldn't pirate it. You shouldn't wait because it's about time. You should buy a copy of this book. I can't tell people enough how important it is to buy copies of books. It's the only thing that will save our, our republic. All right, where are you going now, Alan? I'm headed home because my kid is actually homesick today. And uh, there's somebody looking after him, but I've got to go home and take him to the doctor. How long does the train take? I actually drove in, so okay. it's about an hour. About an hour, and then how long are you going to be at the doctor? Wait 15 minutes there. It'll take, you know, like five minutes. And, you know, then it'll take 20 minutes to drive. I mean, it's an hour and a half of my day for a five-minute meeting. Sure, sure. How is the doctor perceived time? <laughs> uh, they perceive time as very, it's, the time is entirely theirs. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay. The doctor doesn't wait for me. Okay, so you are now totally beholden to some doctor's vision of how the day should go. Absolutely. It is also their value. Yes. True. Can they see 80 patients today yep. or 60 patients today? Yep. All right, so. That's two, our business. We sell time. Two hours. <laughs> I, got, I got to get on that. Yeah, so you got two or three hours to their five minutes. All right, well, you better go. I will go. Hey, I will thank, go. thank you, Alan. Thank this you for coming. Great, great to be here. Fun Thanks conversation. So much. Thank you. Well, I think we'd better go make lists about things we're going to do. This was a good use of our time. This was. This was a very, very productive set of minutes. <laughs> Collection of minutes. I love stuff like this. I love anything that, that takes a very well-known, well-understood dimension and makes it weird. Like, time feels yeah. weird now that I've talked to Alan. <laughs> I used to think, you know, if you'd asked me if it was what was going on, I'd say, oh, it's 3.30. But it turns out that, no, there's much more going on than that. Right, exactly. So people should go out and buy Alan's book. It's also available where digital books are sold, like Amazon. And you can have it on your phone. That's what I did. And uh, we want to thank Alan Burdick for coming in. This has been Track Changes, a podcast brought to you by Postlight a digital product studio based here in New York City. Paul, you love giving the address out. 101 Fifth Avenue. I'm a little proud of that address. You are. I've, uh, never, I've never lived anywhere fancy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, uh, just to clarify for everyone, Paul does not live in the office. Not anymore. He goes home. HR, talk to me. Yes. So uh, if you need to get in touch with us, you can send an email to hello at postlight.com with any of your thoughts, cares, and concerns. We actually love big, difficult technology and design problems. We'd love to talk about them on the air. So any sort of how do I do this problem, we would welcome. Yes. So get in touch. Hello at postlight.com. If you need your web apps or your mobile apps or your platform built and you need them to look beautiful and have great graphic design, you get in touch with us. Hello at postlight.com. If you want to rank us on uh, iTunes or anywhere that tunes or eyed, uh, you can give us five stars and leave a review. That'd be great. If not, you know, we're all living our lives. Let's just get back to work. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.